kind of trying my patience and sometimes well, my wife could tell you that I can usually find something to complain about and and that that condition is is surely not one of thankfulness when we find ourselves complaining so we gotta take stock of where we are and and where our thoughts are and we should we should be thankful for all things that we come across in life. <clears throat> Last Sunday, Claire spoke from the the second chapter, First Peter, and I was looking at this this first chapter, and and even though I was going through some different things and and reading this week, I I kept coming back to this these words. They're all, they're all good words, and, and there's lots in here for us. So I'll read from the, <coughs> excuse me, I'm working on a cold too. I'll, work, I'll read from the first chapter. First chapter of First Peter, the 17th verse on through the 25th. Reading, the, reading these words in Jesus' name. <coughs> And if we call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your, time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as, a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the, Lo- word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Amen. Greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Be- Multiply to each one gathered here this morning, now and forever. Amen. This word we know is a is a living word, and we see that man man works on a system, and in our natural lives, we work on a system where we where we. Well, first of all, we get hungry, and then and then we realize where our food comes from. That we should go find a job, and 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 I'm not talking about the little children, but us as grown-ups, and and get together some money and go buy some groceries or or plant some garden or whatever. So so we have a system whereby we we go and do something, and and we're rewarded with with. Uh, having food on the table we might say in in the 
in the case of the searching and the, the finding of salvation, it doesn't work the same way. We, we, uh, we leave the work to another that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done the work. And it, it confounds our natural thinking to, to switch over to that system from our, from our natural thinking where we, we, we automatically feel that if we go do something, then our reward will, will be, will be nigh at hand or coming our way. I believe all people <clears throat> the world over, and we talk about heathen people and, and people of other faiths, people with no faith whatsoever, and then there's people that have put their faith in, in other things, and they've grown up in, in traditions and faiths. I think of the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Muslims, and they, they never have any, any idea about a Lord and a Savior. I talked to a native Indian woman in, in uh, South Dakota there. We went to that, that um, oh, I just forget the name of that Crazy chief. Horse. Pardon? Crazy horse. Crazy horse. Yeah, it's a, quite a monument, and they've been working on it since the 40s. But I, <clears throat> I had a conversation with a lady that was behind the counter, a native woman, and and I was, I was actually kind of uh, convicted that I, the few things that we said, I, I shouldn't just walk away and, and leave it that way. And it's, it's, I have to say it's, I believe, the leading of the Holy Spirit because I, she was my age and, and probably, and, and uh, I've never seen her in my life and I'll never see her again likely. But just a few words we said about about the worship and things. And well, I, I guess it started because I I asked her if she's ever been to Alberta. That's that's where I'm from, and and she said she hasn't, but she's been to Manitoba. And then she she explained how she she goes up there to some spot in Manitoba and and helps with these these. Uh, worship rituals that they have at powwows and, and things and and because we had been just those few words into conversation I I felt I guess I would say compelled to say to say some more and I asked her it says at these at these things do you ever hear hear the word or the name of Jesus brought out or mentioned and of course she doesn't hasn't and and uh and we got into a more and more and more of a conversation. Well, I tried to say in in a feeble way how how he is the savior of the world, and that our worship should be directed this way. And and she she said that she was brought up in a in a Catholic home, and and her father was kind of a rough character or something. And I don't know if he portrayed that to her in her childhood or whatever but she she has left off anything to do with Christianity and and we discussed some of these things and so when I left I said well just keep reading your Bible so I'm not sure if if uh, anything was accomplished there we'll leave that in God's hands but people do seek the world over 
they seek to uh, come in contact and be one with our Creator. And they have, I hear that in, in some of these countries like India, they have maybe millions of gods. And as, as Paul found on the, when he was in Athens, and I've spoken on that, that he, he found that they had one monument set up to this unknown God. They, they seem to know their gods. They seem to know the gods of this and that and all kinds of things, but they had one monument set up to the unknown God. And Paul, I think he probably delighted, not of the flesh, but of the, of the, I would say the joy of the spirit. He probably delighted in saying, being able to say, well, let me tell you about the living God. He's not only the God of the Greeks and the Jews and the Hindus and the Finns and the Norwegians and whatever. He's a, he's a living God for all of mankind. And we seek to know him and we seek to come to him. This word... Beth and I were talking about it on the way over, how, and as I was reading this morning, it came to me that if anybody picks up this word and reads it, they're going to learn about a living God real fast. And they don't have to read it very, very long, and they'll find out that I'm not, and I'll just say for myself, that I'm not, my nature is not in tune with this God. And how can I come to know him? How can I come to be one with him? How can I spend eternity with him? So, so these are questions I believe all, all people have, not, not only those of us, we, we've had this, we might say, in our lives and, in, and at, at our fingertips all our lives. We, we come to this word and, and, and how it is that people... They don't, they don't open their Bible. They may not own one even. And, and our, our country is going backwards that way that, that I'm sure most of our, our forefathers came over here with an understanding of, of the living God and of this word. And now it seems like, and I don't know if it's because times are, are so good here in a physical sense that, that we just spend our lives <coughs> gathering more possessions or wealth or, or friends or what it might be, but it seems like the, the living God is left by the wayside someplace. I didn't exactly know where to start reading here, but I'll read a little bit before this text I read. It says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, which it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So, so we see here that man has to become holy in order for him to, to be one with God or to have an, have an assurance that, that he is with us. The, the word teaches us, and I, I quote it often, and I'm sure many speakers do, that, that if we gather together in the name of Jesus, he has promised to be with us. And, and I guess it's, it sort of takes my breath away. The living God has promised that if we gather in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, that He is with us. He's here with us this morning. So as we go through this, we see how it is that we come to a living God. And we see that with all our, all our natural and human understandings and, and reasoning, there's places in the scripture that say that there are times, and I believe we're into that time now again, and it's been, it's been oscillating back and forth and coming, coming and going through, throughout the history of mankind where people leave off the reading of the word and the direction this word gives us. And they go their own way and every man thinks that this is right or that is right or this is wrong and that is wrong and he does not base it on the scriptures. He bases it on life's experiences or whatever it might be, his understanding of right and wrong. And we know that throughout history, there's all kinds of things that have taken place and people thought they were in the right or doing the right thing and they don't line up with the scriptures in any way. If we call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We read in the faith chapter about about um, about faith. I think Clara might have quoted this last Sunday, but I'll quote it again because it's it's good. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Or it says him there, meaning God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here, here it talks about passing the, so, the time of our sojourning here. That's, that's as we pass through this life. The word instructs us to not, not go along like, like so many do in this world. They, they, they go from, one one session of having a good time to another and, and maybe do a little work in between to put food on the table. And, and the scriptures don't say this is the way we should live. But, but our natural side, it appeals to. We're no different than anyone else. It says, If you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth every... judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. That that type of fear that's not a scary type of a fear, but it's a 
it's a deep and a humble respect for the superior being, our living God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is, of course, the mediator between us and God. We remember back in Moses' time when Moses spoke directly to God. And I don't understand the, the depth of it, but he came back and his, his face was shining and glowing so that the people had a hard time even seeing him and looking at him. So we don't, we don't deal with the, the living God that way. As, as Moses did. But we have a mediator, Jesus Christ. We, we, we believe in and worship and, and gather to spend time in and around this Word, Jesus Christ being the Word, and He is our mediator between God. And, and we don't have to, as it says, I think it's in, in Hebrews, one of those places that that we don't have to come to God as though we're coming to Mount Sinai where the mountain shook and quaked and there was fire and smoke and all these things that are they give us a picture that it's a scary thing to be around but we come to Mount Zion the city of the living God that city that that Abraham looked for whose builder and ruler and foundation is, is God Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. I think Peter was probably talking about the Jews here, that they had their religion and their faith, and we know that when people are, are born and raised into something and I hope it isn't the same with me because I was born and raised in Christianity and I don't want to let it go. But when they're born and raised in, in these other faiths and, and other traditions, as as Jesus ran into the Pharisees and, and, and got after them about uh, cleaning their cups and their bowls and, and polishing them, and, and these, are, these are traditions and the way they dressed and the way they spoke and the way they greeted each other in the marketplaces and things like this. These become traditions, and, and people are born and raised in this, and they don't want to let it go. But they leave out Jesus. They leave out the very important, most important thing and, and being. It says we're not redeemed. We're not saved. We're not, we're not made one with God through our own efforts that... We could buy salvation. We could go out and write a check for it. We can't do this. And and when Peter, I mentioned here not long ago, when, when Peter and John saw that man begging by the gate of the temple, by the door of the temple they were going into, and, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. They were, they were, he was wanting them to drop a coin into his bowl or whatever he had out there. And he says, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold, but such as I have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he received strength. He had never walked, that man. He was over 40 years old. That's a powerful name. It's a powerful 
experience they had and a powerful story. And I believe later on it, it, it talks about Peter saying that, that don't, don't be amazed as, as though it was some power that I have that this man can walk. But it's the working of the Holy Spirit and the working of the living God. And, and God has, has the greatest desire to help and heal those that are hurting. That's, that's his, his greatest desire. I was reading in Genesis there how, how God was grieved that he had made man. He, he wasn't grieved at the, at the few that were following him. He was grieved at those that went away from him. And they were living, living it up, we might say. And, and we know that in the last times, I, I believe we're in those times today, when people are going to be living the same way, and they are living the same way. And God is grieved with that. We have to keep directing ourselves and others around us to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not redeemed with silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. It's hard for us to comprehend how God sent his Son into this world. I've said before how my natural mind would think that he would send some angel down or or some powerful being that that men would just be stunned at seeing and believing and you couldn't help but believe. But he sent that son through, we might say, the Virgin Mary brought him into this world. And Mary's wondering how, how this can take place. And the angel Gabriel tells her some of the most, I guess, beautiful words in all of Scripture how it was that Jesus would come into this world. It says the power of the Holy Ghost shall overshadow, the power of the highest shall overshadow you. She had never been with any man that she would be with child. And she's wondering, innocently we might say, how this can happen. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. And that holy thing that would be born of you shall be called the Son of God. He came into this world. He came into a hostile world. He came into a world where he wouldn't be received. Wouldn't be welcome. He came to purchase, to redeem us from what we are. Most people will acknowledge that they can make mistakes and they may offend somebody once in a while and and that. But to have this word, I guess I would say exaggerate, as Paul speaks of in Romans there, how sin becomes exceeding sinful then. We don't just nonchalant say, well, yeah, I might have slipped there a little bit or, or offended somebody. But it, sin becomes exceedingly sinful. We, really, we, we, we realize that, that this is offensive to the living God and this separates us. 
Brother Dick said that countless times, I believe, through his years of speaking, that it's sin that separates man from God. It comes between us. It, it, it builds a wall between us. Jesus lived here and taught and, and worked and, and spent his life and died at the, I guess, at the, at the hands of us, you might say. That it's, it's sin that put him where he went. And the disciples talked about going with him and Jesus said that that won't happen, that can't happen. He had to do that alone. He had to face that battle alone. He had to shed his blood alone for us. He worked the work of salvation. This, this little baby boy that in the Christmas story we see the old, and I, it's such a, such a beautiful story to me, the old man Simeon holds Jesus up eight days of age and says, now I have seen my salvation. He's ready to leave this world. He had had that revealed to him. This little baby boy became that teacher, the greatest teacher of all time. It says here he was foreordained from the foundation of the world. I'll read that later. I think. Yeah, the next couple of verses. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I guess the thought comes to me that of all the, all the billions of people who have walked this earth and, and they say there's around eight billion now that are alive on earth and there's, we know that that's the way it goes. There's, there's people dying and people being born every day. And countless, countless billions and billions that have, have lived and died. And Jesus, or, or God couldn't find anyone that he would want to save mankind by. So he sent his son. And he wasn't well received. And the unbelieving world, even if they have some kind of understanding of this word, they can't, they can't believe that anyone, anyone could be perfect. Here it says that Jesus came as a lamb without, without blemish and without spot. And we know that in the, in the story of the, the people, the children of Israel leaving Egypt, after they were in slavery for 400 years, they were to take that, take a lamb. Amy has lambs. Maybe some others do too. And they're so, well, they're kind of like a little rubber doll in your hands. They, they, they seem to be, have no strength and, and no, not much body to them and, and, and yet Jesus came that way. He came as a defenseless little lamb. No blemishes, no spots. So these people were supposed to kill a lamb, a little lamb like that, and sprinkle the blood on their doorposts. And when that, 
the, the Lord, it's the Lord came around, it says. Some people call it the angel of death, and I don't know if the word actually uses that term. But he came along, and those doors that were sprinkled with that blood, that innocent little lamb, the, the Lord passed over that. And we came to the houses that didn't have that. The firstborn was slain. And all of Egypt was in mourning. It was a terrible time, a terrible night. And we might say in a physical sense it was so terrible that Pharaoh finally said to the children of Israel, well, we can get going then. It's this, it's this bad. So he let them go. After, after quite a few times of them trying to leave Egypt, he finally let them go. And then he changed his mind and, and didn't want them to go. He realized what a, in the physical sense that all the, all our, all our slaves are going to be gone. Anyways, Jesus is pictured as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And it says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. There's a place, I believe, it says that Jesus was slain from the beginning of the world. So the plan of salvation was in place. And the, and the people of old and the prophets spoke of this man that would come. And I don't think they were any different than us. They could only try to imagine what it might be like or who this might be. And then I think of, of Jesus coming into that family of Joseph and Mary. And we know that he had brothers and sisters. And to think that your, your brother is the son of God. What, what a thing. These people knew, knew he was the son of God. He was perfect. He wasn't, he wasn't like the rest of them. And we know that it doesn't say much about his childhood, but when he was 12, he was in the, in the temple talking with these old bearded men and discussing the scriptures, discussing the prophecies probably. And they were astounded at his understanding. 12-year-old boy. It says he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest. Manifest means brought to light, or we're made aware of him, or we come to know him, we come to see him, spiritually speaking. Manifest in these last times for you. I remember the old brother Ray Hillman saying about about this message of salvation. He says, you can put your own name to it. It's mine. It's for me. Jesus is manifest to me. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. As I said, he is our mediator. He comes between us and God. We believe in him and we can see God. Jesus says, if you believe in me, Jesus starts out with the little children, maybe two, three, four years old, and sets them on his knee and he says, you believe in this little child, you believe in me. You believe in me, you believe in God. 
except you come as one of these little children. You can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead. Jesus is the only one that raised. Well, we, we know that Jesus raised a few people from the dead. But it wasn't for this reason that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus says, I have the power to lay my life down. And I have the power to raise myself to life again. We might think that it was an easy thing for him. It wasn't. When he died, he died with the sins of the whole world. I think Claire might have mentioned that last Sunday, that we can't even comprehend. We can't comprehend someone taking my own sins upon him, let alone the sins that have ever, all the sins that have been committed in the world. He died with that. And he fought the battle against sin. And he fought the battle against all wrongdoing. From, as I've said, a, a wrong thought we might have, all the way to the heinous crimes that people get into, nations get into. He took that upon himself. He became sin. I believe when God looked down at that point, he saw Jesus as sin. He became sin for us. He took it away from us. Who by him to believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Remember Jesus said after he came into Jerusalem, Father glorify thy name. We know that the name of God is glorified, and it was glorified. And it works both ways. The name of Jesus is also glorified. In him glorifying the Father, the Father also glorifies him. And when Jesus came back from the dead, and, and we know how the first thing is that he meets his disciples behind locked doors, he came back a glorified God and Savior. A glorified Jesus. But we see after eight days then, Thomas says, My Lord and my God. When, when Jesus presents himself and says, Thrust your hands into my side. Put your fingers into the holes in my hands. The wounds in my hands. And it doesn't say that he had to do that. We don't know if he had to do it or not. It doesn't, doesn't record it that way, but, but, but uh, he says, My Lord and my God. He recognized him and he understood who this is. Jesus was in a glorified state. Jesus is in a state that we, we can't quite comprehend because when he met those two disciples... And and he says that you think that I I'm a spirit. And he asked for something to eat, and they gave it to him. And he ate it. But then he vanished out of their sight. So it's something we can't comprehend with our natural minds. 
this this glorified Jesus. Before Jesus was glorified, he spoke in different places. And he spoke a lot, but there were, there were times when they wanted to throw him over a cliff. They wanted to do away with him. They made vows that they're going to get rid of him. He was a physical being like you and I are. He was not yet in a glorified state. After he overcame death and all wrongdoing, he came back in a glorified state. He presented himself to the Heavenly Father as, as we see and it's not recorded that way but as we see when he talks to Mary he says I have not yet gone to my Father he, presented, he was presented or presented himself somehow to the Heavenly Father and he was an acceptable sacrifice for sin if you and I one of us would have been there, we wouldn't have been acceptable. He was acceptable. And, and in, in this, uh, I would say, Thanksgiving Day, we can be thankful for that above all things, that the sacrifice that he went through with was acceptable to the Father. Seeing you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit under unfeigned love of the brethren see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently this word is supposed to go forth and and go out from us to others and that's the way it's always been it's it, it goes from one one heart to another heart we might say being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of god which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We, were, we see this word many times throughout the scriptures, this word, the gospel, being preached. And I just wanted to read something of this gospel and it's, it's Peter speaking to that crowd of people that had gathered in Cornelius' house. Cornelius got together his whole family and probably people he knew, other people. Peter is preaching the gospel. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And I just want to add in there that the first chapter of the Gospel of John and the first few words there, how it says how it says about this word, we keep using that word word too. And here it says there that Let's 
speaking of John, he was not the light, but was set to bear witness of that light, meaning Jesus. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Remember the people that were asking Jesus, what could they do? What kind of work could they do? And he said, this is the work that you believe on him whom God has sent. We don't go out and earn money and buy this, but we do come in possession of it. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, or we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and later it says here, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So let's continue in this, in what, what Peter is saying. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even unto us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. I understand that after Jesus rose from the dead, and I don't know if it's physically, but for sure spiritually, and possibly physically, he, he didn't show himself to any unbeliever in his glorified state. Showed himself openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even unto us, Peter speaking of himself and the other disciples, I believe, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. We want to come to God. We want to be with him. We have to receive the remission of sins. I can assure you that if you come to God with a broken and a contrite heart and spirit, as we see in the, in the, uh, rec- the recording of Isaiah's conversion, there's a repentance takes place. And then there are coals taken off the fire and touches, touches his lips and anoint him. And his sin is purged. We, we do the same thing. When a person is, is contrite and penitent and comes, we can assure them. And I can assure you that if your heart is in that place where it's penitent and contrite and you're sorry for your sin, your sins are forgiven. It's already happened. And we can, we can lay hands and assure one another that all is well. You are now one with God. You're a child of God. Until this takes place, without a repentance, it just doesn't seem to happen these days. It speaks of that. 
For all flesh is grass, and the glory of man is a flower of grass. There's, Jesus says in that one place that about Solomon and the flowers of the field. It says Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these flowers. And I think of summertime and and hay and tiger lilies and some of my favorite flowers. And it says that Solomon in all his glory was not as beautiful as one of these. But it's to show us what we are. It says these things wither and fade away. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower falleth away. But this word, this word that became flesh and dwelt among us, is eternal. And it gives us something to hang on to. And it gives us, it gives us, uh, I don't know how to say it, consistency and something solid in this life. The word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which, by the gospel, is preached to you. So we read that, what the gospel is. Peter preached the gospel. And it says that as he spoke in that house, in Cornelius' house, that he was speaking away. That's about how he puts it. I was talking away and speaking, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost fell on us. It came down. And I'm sure there was much rejoicing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we close with benediction? May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance unto us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Thank you.